Living in the part of Canada that I live in makes the Ayurvedic doshas for me almost exaggerated. And I find myself wondering what it would be like to live in India where the seasons can be less extreme. So I live a couple of hours north of Toronto and the winters are, are long and deep. The summers are very hot, so we could fluctuate 60 degrees between the middle of winter and the middle of summer. In fact, even more than that sometimes, 70 degrees. When I woke up yesterday morning, my partner and I realized that the furnace wasn't working. And it was so interesting to notice how we both went to this completely apocalyptic thinking. I was cold. It felt cold. Even though we have a wood stove, the furnace does the rest of the house. The wood stove just does sort of the living room and kitchen. And in the cold, I snapped into this contained fear that nothing was going to be okay that we're not going to have enough money to pay our bills, that like on and on and on in this ridiculous series of dominoes. My beautiful friend Joanne, who has sadly left the physical realm, used to say that this was collapsed distinction. Collapsed distinction is that point where we let one thing mean everything. So my favorite example uh, would be the times where I've bounced a check. So I bounce the check, and what happens is in my narrative, in my head, I hear, I'm terrible at business, I'm terrible with money, I am very fat, I'm overweight, I'm eating too much, and on and on and on. In the symbol of OM... There's this outsized three, right? But beside it, to its right, is a little dot. And below that dot is this crescent-shaped, almost like a crescent moon lying on its side. The crescent is maya, illusion. The dot above it is truth. And the dot is where we are practicing to live. It's not really accurate to say it's truth. Honestly, it's it's your soul. But it's the truth within your soul. Not all this garbage we tell ourselves. So the truth of it is that a check was bounced. The truth of that is... I made a mistake. I didn't watch as carefully as I could have for a whole host of reasons. The truth of the other morning is that our furnace was on the fritz. And we had it installed about five years ago. We've never had to have it serviced. That's pretty good odds, right? None of those other dominoes had to fall. So luckily, my partner and I communicate well, and I do a lot of practice, and so we could talk to each other about it and laugh about where we had gone with it. But 
rewind to another time where I wasn't in my practice, I wasn't in my body, and he and I weren't together and able to talk, how much energy would we each have spent in navigating that? How much energy would we have given away to preparing for the apocalypse? And here's the funniest part of the whole story. All it was was a broken thermostat, which is pennies. It's nothing. It took the repair guy, I think, maybe half an hour, if that. I don't even know. So all of that energy spent would have been utterly in vain because that energy would have been spent on fiction, on Maya, the illusion. And in yoga, in the sutras, we call it brahmacharya. So sometimes brahmacharya is put forward as celibacy. I don't really think that that's very useful because sexuality is very powerful And there are times where we can waste our sexuality, for sure. We can waste our energy on that. But I think it's far more useful to think about brahmacharya as the way you use your energy. And the reason it goes to sex is because it's sacred energy, right? And that sacred fluid of sperm and reproductive fluid and all that. But talk about it as energy. So in this time of climate change... Aren't we seeing the way in which we have been very poor stewards? That we've not managed our resources properly. And you know that in the yoga world, and in any intelligent world, you are not separate from the earth. Your body is your aspect of the earth. From your subtle, to your causal, to your physical. So, how are you managing your resources? Your adrenals have a limited supply of adrenaline. That is intended, the adrenal system, fight or flight, is intended like that time where you're supposed to break the glass in case of emergency. And then there's this tank in there that has a limited amount of stuff for you to use. It is not unlimited. And it is certainly not meant to be your oxygen. And fear and panic and the apocalypse is not intended to be your wallpaper. That is not right living. And so in the pausing that we did in the morning, in the awareness we both had, we were able to change the path of brahmacharya. And let me back up for a moment before this goes too far into the other kind of illusion. I practice a lot. I've been doing this for over 20 years. My partner, he's not. He's a traditional guy, traditional British guy. Hasn't been exposed to a lot of yoga stuff except through me. He's done some martial arts. But this isn't about people that are above others practicing yoga. This is about two people looking at each other and saying, whoa, check out where we're going with this. It's about two people 
who prefer peace and prefer calm. Can you picture a teeter-totter? And the triangle that the teeter-totter leans on is the fulcrum. When I was a kid, I really liked bashing that teeter-totter around. My sister and I would go on it. We were down this little park called Memorial Park in Meaford, where my dad's family had a cottage. And we'd go, and I remember we'd try to knock each other off the top of the teeter-totter because we'd just crash up and down and up and down. It was really fun, and we would laugh until our heads were popping off. We were having such a good time. But then there was another thing we would try. We would try to suspend the teeter-totter. So find that place, which now I know to be called a still point, where both ends of the teeter-totter are only very mildly fluctuating. So, your sacrum is your fulcrum, says my friend Colleen Bush, the osteopath. Did you just feel it? The way in which, if we position the sacrum as the fulcrum, we have the choice to be raucous and to create massive amounts of disturbance and we have the choice to look at the other person the other in the teeter-totter and say wow look what we're doing and in ourselves That's the self-reflection. I bounce to check. What can I do to make that better? How can I heal that situation? And I put on my big girl pants. And I go in and make the situation better. And what that is then is encapsulating a moment, encapsulating an event in the event, in the moment. It's all it means. It doesn't mean anything about you. I know that when we were kids, we were sold this idea that if we worked hard enough and if we were good little girls and good little boys we would be able to be asymptomatic we would clear our lives of stress and be able to live like those adults that we saw on TV or in the magazines better still that still picture of a completely implausible life What a crime it was to raise our children on that concept. What I really wish 
Is that my grade one teacher, my grade two, my grade three and on teacher? I wish that they had all taught me that I would always be a work in progress. That part of being alive, a sentient being, is to be in a constant state of flux and transformation. Because had I known that, and now that I do know that, I use my energy very differently. I used to, when I was teaching, I mean, this is only, you know, a year ago, at the very most generous, maybe it was even yesterday. When I was teaching, I would hold my shoulders up. I would tense them. I might even be doing that now as I'm talking to you. You know, and one day I said to my inner committee inside, be it guides, whatever you want to call them, I asked them, why are my shoulders still so tight after such a long time of yoga practice? Why am I still in a fair bit of pain in my shoulders? And the funniest response, and I love this response, was because you always tighten your shoulders. Like how no-brainer is that? So I'm, I'm overusing my energy that I really need for later. I need that energy to monitor how I deal with a furnace that isn't running. When it's cold, when it's going to be minus something wind chill, and we're not going to be warm enough. So how do I save my energy for the times where I really need it? The times where my partner is having a hard time and just needs loving kindness. And where will I summon that from if I'm empty? We are works in progress. And not just in this lifetime. I remember someone said to me once, what if, what if a single lifetime this thing that we think is the be-all and end-all, what if it's only a day in the life of your soul? So in that day, in this lifetime, where we get so attached to being alive, what we go through and what we learn is just a moment for the soul. It's just a moment. So I feel like I feel like that lesson of the thermostat, that lesson of the furnace, helped my soul in that I didn't waste my energy too much. That idea of going back to being raised as a kid, work really hard, be a good girl, be a good boy. What if mastery was not the absence of stress or the absence of symptoms in your body, but your ability to spend less time in the illusion around it, to spend less and less time in maya, 
Could that be your new definition of mastery? And if so, would you hold yourself differently? Would you be more likely to walk beside yourself as an ally? Because you really got you, right? I know for certain that you're going to be with you for the rest of your life. And then some more lives if you believe in that. So what would it look like for you to become an ally to you? So one of the big things would be brahmacharya, right? Because I want to have enough energy to love myself better. I want to have enough energy to love my partner better, my friends, my family my clients, right? But if I if I let everyone or one single person take all my energy, if I let one client monopolize me without me having boundaries and a sense of what I'm capable of helping with, then I'm just going to be sapped. And after 22 years, I've, I think I figured that one out. Probably not, but I figured a few bits, bits and pieces out about it. You know, one of the things about that is just a little aside, but uh, one of the things I find really useful is never put more into someone else's healing than they're putting into their own. So watch them use their energy to do their work. And then match it, but don't exceed it. Because you're doing your work. And when you work with a client or when you work with a friend or when you work with a partner, you are doing your work on yourself because you're learning about you as you communicate with them. I had a friend who did similar work to me in more of a Pilates sense, but he said, you know, if, he said, Ali, if ever you stop learning from your client, you need to end that relationship because they're no longer learning from you. So think about that in terms of brahmacharya, that for everything we do, there should be an exchange of energy in receiving and in giving. It should never be one-sided. So to be an ally is to set yourself up in relationships where that is true. And to let go of the ones where it isn't. That's the hard piece, right? But the reality is that if you're not getting something from it, then they're not either. And it feels like a really big teeter-totter moment to get rid of those relationships. I totally know that. I'm a pleaser. It's really hard. 
but sometimes you got to rock that teeter-totter to find the still point. Sometimes the other person on that teeter-totter is not going to let you find peace. So you kind of have to knock them off. Because your only job, your only job in being here alive in this body is your growth. But it's through your growth that others grow with you, right? It's through your growth that you shine your light into the world. I don't mean narcissism. I don't mean everything is for you, but everything is for you. So that you can give, so that you can serve, so that you can grow. So let's learn how to manage our resources and and stop knocking that teeter-totter around. Can you practice today what it is to wrap moments and events in a bubble of truth as opposed to a series of dominoes or a house of cards falling down in collapsed distinction? Sometimes what I'll do is I'll picture in that collapsed distinction some sort of entity like a, well, house of cards works or even um, something collapsing down on itself because I just made one thing mean everything. And then the healing from that is to watch it come back alive, to say, oh, that was just a bounce check. And I know for me, my mortal wound is always about body weight. I've carried that mortal wound my whole life, and I'm sure I will die with it. And so what I know to be true is that every moment that I look at myself, I will see a different version of my body, depending on what just happened in my mind. So stop it. Utterly stop. Just don't even bother. Go to the truth of it. And in the truth of it, no one else other than me is measuring my lovability from my body weight. And if they are, that is not a person I want on my teeter-totter. What is your mortal wound? What is that, that thing that you have hidden that you hope nobody sees? but you're sure everybody sees like a pimple the size of your entire head. What is that for you? And the more you can come to an understanding of it, the more you can befriend it. Get it out of the illusion. Get it into that dot, that light of your soul. Because it is a gift that is shaping how you interact with the world and who is going to learn from you and who is going to love you and who you will learn from and who you will love. That mortal wound is your most beautiful blessing. I would never be where I am today had I not struggled with body image and body weight, stiffness, 
insecurity. It's made me much more approachable. It's made me able to talk to you honestly without holding back. And so I'm grateful. And I still struggle. But I'm coming to that place of mastery where I notice the teeter-totter going up too high much earlier. And I watch and say, wait a second, what am I doing? Come on back. Back to the still point. Back to witness. Back to observing. Back to brahmacharya. And I long to spend more time there than in the conflict, the disruptions that I used to love that made me think I was more alive. Who will you be without your disruptions? Who will you be without your anger or your anxiety? Who will you be in that place of purity and truth of you? I'd love to meet you there. I'm going to wave to you from the other end of the teeter-totter. We're going to smile in recognition. Because you know what? When you get to that place, what you will remember the most of all is that yes, there's struggle. Yes, there's suffering. But we are here to experience joy, light, no matter what the storm. So save your energy for joy and for light because it's waiting for you. Save your energy for truth, satya. You have utterly earned the right to stillness. Om Shanti. Namaste.